Hey, thanks for listening to Cornerstone Church. You can find us on the web at akcornerstone.org. And we want you to know it's our prayer that the Holy Spirit will use this message to either save you through the good news about Jesus Christ, grow you into the likeness of Jesus, or send you to proclaim Jesus in the Spirit's power. If you have your Bibles, would you open to the 18th chapter of Genesis? If you don't have a Bible, we're going to throw the scriptures up on the screen there, but I'd like you to look at your Bible if you have one. If not, we, before you leave here today, you talk to one of the ushers and we'll give you a Bible. In the Word of God, there are some titles given to certain individuals, titles of honor. Men who are known as men of God for certain things or characteristics of their life. And there's one of those in the Old Testament that is, in my estimation, one of the most honorable titles. I would say maybe even the most honorable titles that could be bestowed. And what I want to do in this 18th chapter of Genesis is I want to point out a man with a title like that. And then look at his life. First of all, let me just introduce him. His name is Abraham. I'll just read one verse from the New Testament where James is referring to a noteworthy characteristic of the life of Abraham. And James wrote in the Scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God And it was counted to him as righteousness. Listen. And he was called a friend of God. Abraham was called a friend of God. What an incredible title of honor. And what I believe that we can do is look into the 18th chapter of Genesis, into this snapshot in the life of Abraham. And I believe what God shows us here, what He's shown me to show you, is that there are characteristics in Abraham's life, characteristics that made him a friend of God. And so I want to draw them out for you this morning, but... The purpose is not to brag on Abraham. Here's the purpose. One of the writers of the New Testament says that the things that were written, referring to the Old Testament and the examples in the Old Testament, that they were written for us as examples to us, meaning they were written to teach us on how we are to live, whether they did it wrong, how we're not to live, or they did it right and how we are to live. So what I believe with full confidence what we have here in the life of Abraham is we have the story of a man, this friend of God, and we can look into his life here in the 18th chapter of Genesis and we can find out what the characteristics are of a friend of God and apply those to our own lives as sons and daughters of God so that we as well can be friends of God. Now, I know that sounds ridiculously presumptuous. 
even ostentatious. Man, we could be a friend of God, but it's not me saying it. God called Abraham his friend. And there were reasons why God did that. And I want to try to draw three of them out from the 18th chapter of Genesis this morning. Look at Genesis chapter 18, verse 1. And the Lord appeared to him, to Abraham, by the oaks of Mamre, as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. Just a little setup to this. This is now the seventh time that the Lord has appeared to Abraham. Began in the end in the beginning of chapter 12 of Genesis. And now we've come to the 18th chapter. And this is the seventh time that the Lord appears to him. And you say, well, Brad, wow, that's an advantage. Incredible advantage. I mean, yeah, I could see us being able to be the friend of God if he keeps showing up like that giving us the opportunity, man, Abraham certainly had an advantage over us. I want to turn the tables on that and say to you, in fact, Abraham had no advantage. We have the advantage. We have the advantage. Abraham, Jesus himself said in John chapter 8, verse 56, that Abraham looked toward our day with envy, with jealousy, with longing. Listen, John 8.56, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. And he saw it and was glad. What is Jesus saying there? This is about 4,000 years removed from our day here. From the day of Christ. And Jesus is saying, Abraham prophetically, by the inspiration of God, was able to see into the future and able to see the coming of the Christ. And he looked toward that day. He longed for that day. And he saw it prophetically as a shadow into the future. But that's not how we see it. We see it in the full light of an historical fact. We see it this side of the cross. We see it this side of the empty tomb. We see it with the Scriptures in our hand that give us the eyewitness accounts of the person of Jesus Christ. We see it as sons and daughters of God who have the Spirit of God actually living within us where He makes His home in us. You see, we have the great advantage over Abraham. He saw a picture into the future, prophetically a shadow, we see the perfection of that picture in the person of Jesus Christ. And if you couple that fact with this truth, listen, God is immutable. Here's what that means. He does not change ever, eternally. He is the same today, yesterday, and forever. So that means that the God that Abraham was a friend with is the same God that's ruling today. And the same things that made Abraham his friend are the same things that will make us friends of God today because he's immutable. He's the same. So we can look into Abraham's life and we can learn what was true of this man who God himself bestowed the title upon, Abraham is my friend. 
So let me show you the first reason in verses 1 and 2 of Genesis 18. And the Lord appeared to Abraham by the oaks of Mamre, and he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. He, Abraham, lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth. Let me give you the first reason that Abraham was a friend of God, and I'll explain it. Here's the reason. Abraham rushed to give the Lord reverence. Abraham rushed to give the Lord reverence. Let me just give you a little insight here into the text. We need to understand who these three men are. In the Old Testament, there are occurrences that are called in theological terms theophanies. And here's what that means. It was an appearance of Jesus Christ, uh, an appearance of the pre-incarnate Christ, meaning before Jesus left heaven, came down to earth, entered into the womb of Mary, was born placed in a manger, lived 33 years, died on a cross, rose again and ascended back into heaven. Long before that happened, Jesus existed in the second person of the triune God throughout all of eternity past. And there are situations in the Old Testament where He showed up, where He stepped from heaven into the story of the Old Testament and made an appearance. This is one of those times. Jesus, pre-incarnate Christ, is one of the three. And I can show you that just by a brief scanning of the text. Verse 1, Abraham called him the Lord in Hebrew, Jehovah. Jehovah is God's most personal name in the Old Testament. It's the personal name for the self-existent God. So Abraham looked up and he saw Jehovah. He saw the Lord Christ. Verse 3, Abraham rushed to him and he called him Lord. Verse 10, the Lord promised that he was going to return one year later and fulfill the promise that he as God had made to Abraham. Verse 14, this visitor, the Lord, claimed omnipotence. He said, is anything too hard for the Lord, for Him? Nothing is impossible for Him. Verse 21, He claims to hear the outcry in heaven of the wickedness of Sodom and Gomorrah. This is the Lord. This is the God of heaven that has stepped down into the life of Abraham and made this appearance to him. And Abraham looks up and he sees three visitors and he sees that one of them is the Lord. And what does he do? He runs from his tent and he rushes to the presence of the Lord and he bows down prostrate before him to give him reverence. Folks, this is a 99 year old dude. He picked, he's sitting at the door of his tent and he sees the Lord off at a distance and I can just see him 
grabbing up the folds of his robe and rushing across that rocky ground in his sandals at 99 as fast as his legs can carry him so he can go and prostrate himself in reverence before the Lord. Why is he called a friend of God? Because he was a man who rushed to give the Lord the reverence that he is due. It's interesting. Why was he at a distance? Just think about this for a minute. This is the Word of God. I don't know if you've come to that conviction yet, but this book, written over 1,500 years by 40-some authors, divinely inspired by God so that they spoke through their own personality and style but spoke inerrant truth in, it, in the original manuscripts in which they wrote down. God had them write what He wanted them to write and for 2,000 years that we've had this book, it has stood the test of time. And every critic that tries to rise up and defeat it, and the powers of the world, many times they have marshaled all their forces to get rid of the Word of God, and it's never been accomplished, but it continues to grow. And for the past many hundreds of years, it's been the perennial bestseller of history without anything else close. Why? Because it's the Word of God, and it's what God wanted said. And right here in the 18th chapter, there is a reason why these three men are at a distance. I mean, the Lord showed up. Why didn't He just show up at the door of the tent? So this old man didn't have to scurry across the landscape. Here's why. He wanted us to see what a friend of God does. He wanted us to see that a friend of God is a person who rushes into a reverent place before the Lord. It's the longing of their heart to do that. And that is clearly true of Abraham. Do you rush to give the Lord reverence? Are you in a hurry to seek out those places where you meet with the Lord? For example, do you have private praise? Do you make time and have a place where you get into the presence of God where you turn your focus upon God and praise Him for who you are? Do you have public praise? Do you come here on Sunday to join into corporate worship and out of the overflow of your heart? Are you, regardless of whether it's your favorite songs or not, it's not about you. Worship is about Him. Right? And you are there to give Him the praise that He is due. You are in a hurry to rush to give Him reverence. That's what a friend of God does. I believe God put this in here to show us that truth. One of my prayers for this church over the past 20 years, almost 20 years as lead pastor now, has been that 
when we meet together, that the Lord would manifest His presence here. Now, what, what do you mean by that, Brad? Well, I mean a lot of things by that. Actually, I mean whatever God wants that to mean, not what I want it to mean. But He would just show up. He can do that in a lot of ways. He can do that right now through the preaching of His Word where I'm saying something, but it's not just me. It's the Spirit of God that's going out and taking the Word and He's gripping hearts and minds and He's calling you up to a new place with God. He could do it by speaking answers to questions that you had coming in and you're thinking, how in the world did this guy know I had that question? I didn't know. It's the Spirit of God that knows. By touching you and healing you emotionally or relationally or physically, just in a number of ways that God could show up here. I pray and have prayed hundreds and hundreds of times and my wife and we as a staff have prayed that when people walk through the doors of this church on Sunday, this is sons and daughters of God and people that have not yet been saved, that they walk through the doors and when they'd step over the threshold, they would say, wow, either God is here, I can sense Him, or something is different here, I don't understand it. When I come in here, I feel something that I've never felt before. If that's happened to you, that's the presence of God. It's the presence of God. We pray for that here. I believe God wants to do that. You see, this is a truth. The Spirit of God manifests Himself to those who are longing for Him. I believe that. I so desperately, deeply believe that. Abraham, friend of God, was a man who rushed to give the Lord reverence. Let me show you the second truth about this friend of God. Here it is. Abraham was passionate about the Lord's presence. He was passionate about the Lord's presence. Look at verses 3 through 5. So Abraham, standing at his tent door, looks up and he sees the Lord and he runs to him, bows down before him, and here's what he says. Oh Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves. And after that, you may pass on since you have come to your servant. You see, Abraham not only rushed to give the Lord <clears throat> reverence, but he said to the Lord, Lord, don't pass me by. Please stay for a while. Please remain. I want to be with you for a while. Here, sit down under this tree. Let me get you some refreshment. Don't pass me by, Lord. Stay for a while. What about you? What about me? Am I passionate about the presence of the Lord? Henry Blackaby 
said it like this. Determine not to live in the church without the manifest presence of the Lord. Let me just explain that for a minute. I believe it's why we pray that prayer regularly on Sunday. There's a staff coming into Sundays that God would manifest His presence here. I, I believe that the plan of God is that He would show Himself to be great, to be excellent, that He would show up in power when we meet together. He doesn't want us to just come and remember what He's done in the past. He wants us to experience Him in the present. Do you understand that? You see, when Jesus... Let me just give you an illustration of that. When Jesus died on the cross, when He cried out in victory, paid in full, meaning His death in payment for sin, and He gave up His Spirit. It says at that moment of His death that God ripped the veil in the temple in two from top to bottom. And the veil in the temple was a curtain that was unterrible. It took 400 men to transport it. And when Christ died, the unseen hands of God ripped the veil in two. And what was the veil for? It separated the holy place in the temple from the most holy place. And what was in the most holy place? It was where the presence, the manifest, visible Shekinah, presence of God dwelt above the Ark of the Covenant. There was a shining light that hovered there. The Shekinah of God. The glory of God. And it was a room that only the high priest could go in once a year on the Day of Atonement. But when Jesus died, God ripped the veil in two. He was saying, the way into the manifest presence of God, it's open. I want you to experience it. Jesus has made the way so that when we come here as a church, we should be praying and longing and looking for and asking God to manifest His presence here in power. I believe He wants to do that. I'm absolutely convinced He wants to do that. And I'm going to keep praying that He would do that in more and in greater ways. I think He wants us to desire it. Like Abraham who said, Lord, don't pass me by. Lord, stay. Let me fellowship with you for a while. Let me refresh you. Pretty incredible thought. Here's a guy saying to the Lord, let me refresh you. I don't know how that works, but I believe in some way, certainly it's the Spirit of God that refreshes us. But we can minister to the Lord by our reverence and our passion for His presence. We can minister to the Lord. Did Abraham prevail? Did the Lord grant his request to stay for a while and let him give him some refreshment. Genesis 18, verse 5, the last part of verse 5. And so they, the Lord and the two angels said, do as you have said. Go ahead, Abraham. Go and get the refreshment. We'll stay. We'll remain. Here's a credible truth. Listen. 
the Lord of the universe lingered because a man asked him to. Wow! That's incredible. That's incredible. A man, a little creature that he created, this infinite, omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient God who is always and will always exist. A man says, stay, Lord. And he said, okay, I'm going to stay. I'm going to stay. I'm going to fellowship here for a while. Why did he do that? He did it because Abraham was his friend. He did it because here was a man that rushed to give him reverence and here was a man that was passionate about his presence. Here's the third truth of this friend of God, this third characteristic that we can apply to our lives and that is this, Abraham gave his best to the Lord not the rest. Watch this. Verses 6 to 8. So the Lord said he would stay. And here's what happens. And Abraham went quickly into the tent to Sarah, that's his wife, and said, Quick, three sheaves of fine flour. Knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and he took a calf, a tender and good calf, and he gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and he set it before them and he stood by them under the tree while they ate. Isn't that just a cool story? He says to him initially in verses 3 to 5, Don't pass me by, Lord. Let me just bring a little morsel of bread and a drink for you. And the Lord says, okay, I'll stay. And Abraham runs and says, wife, get the best flower. He runs to the herd. Again, 99-year-old man running to the herd. He picks out the best lamb and he says here to one of his servants, prepare this quickly. And then he gets milk and curds and he takes the best of what he has and he presents it to the Lord sitting there under the tree, lingering because Abraham, the friend of God, asked him to. And he waited there before the Lord. He gave the Lord his best. Not simply the leftovers, not simply the rest, He was a friend of God because he gave the Lord of his best. Not that the Lord needed his best. He's the Lord. He doesn't need it. What he wants is us. And what this is is showing the characteristic of a heart that is fully after God, that is fully in love with God and his actions are dictating that he has a deep love and reverence and passion for God. And he's recognizing that all that he has is God's. He doesn't own any of it. It's God's. He's a steward, not an owner. And he's, God, I want to give you the best of what you've given to me. Do you do that? Do you give the Lord your best? Or does the Lord get the leftovers? Your time. 
Do you make time for fellowship in your day with Him? Your talents, do you take the strength and abilities that you have and you use them toward the building of His kingdom? Or are you consumed with building your own castle? Your treasures, are you setting aside out of the first blessings that He gives to you on a continual basis, are you giving Him the first fruits of that or do you just tip Him occasionally if you remember? Does He get your best or does He get just the rest if you get around to it? Friend of God, rushes to give the Lord reverence, is passionate about the Lord's presence and gives the Lord the best. And what is the result of a friendship with God? Let me just show you a few things. Genesis 18, 9 and 10. They, the Lord and His messengers, said to Abraham, Where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, She's in the tent. And the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Let me just stop there for a minute. Isn't this just like life, right? Husband's having the meeting, the wife's got the glass to the wall, right? She's trying to hear what's going on, right? Genesis 18, 11 to 14, Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years, The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah, meaning she couldn't conceive. She was beyond the age, well beyond the age of childbirth. She was 89 years old. Sarah, Abraham was 99. Sarah was 89. So Sarah laughed to herself saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. You see, that's the promise that Abraham, that God had given to Abraham back when he was in his 70s. And he's been waiting and waiting for this promise. And the Lord has reaffirmed the promise throughout the years. And here, Abraham is 99. Sarah is 89, and the Lord comes and says, next year it's going to happen. Next year, the miracle child is coming. Here's the first result of being a friend of God. The friend of God receives the promises of God. Friends of God receive the promises of God. You see, the promises of God, many of the promises of God in the Bible, they are unconditional. They come with a condition. Right? And if, like, God says, draw near to me, and I'll draw near to you. Or like, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your understanding, and all your ways acknowledge Him, and He'll make your path straight, or He'll guide your path. Or Psalms 1, meditate on the law of the Lord day and night, and He will bring a lot of blessings into your life. You'll be like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever you do will prosper. Those are promises. They are conditional promises. Those who are friends of God, those who rush to give Him reverence and are passionate about His presence and who give Him of the best, they are people who are pursuing Him and they receive the promises of God. That's the result of being a friend of God. Doesn't mean they don't have any problems. 
doesn't mean they don't go through hard times, but in the midst of those, they are those that enjoy the promises of God. Genesis 18, 15 to 16. But Sarah denied it, saying, I didn't laugh, for she was afraid. And he, the Lord, said, no, but you did laugh. Then the men set out from there, and they looked down toward Sodom, and Abraham went with them to set them on their way. Now let me show you the second result of friendship, verses 17 to 20. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I have chosen him that he may command his children in his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised. Then the Lord said, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will will know. So the men turned from there and went toward Sodom, but Abraham stood, still stood before the Lord. Do you see the picture here? They begin to leave and Abraham walks with them and the Lord Jehovah says, shall I keep from Abraham this friend of mine, what I'm about to do. No, I'm going to tell him what I'm about to do. And he tells him about the great wickedness of this city in his region, Sodom and Gomorrah, and that he is coming down to see this wickedness and to deal with this wickedness. And here's the truth of those who are friends with God. The Lord let Abraham in on his plan. Listen, not all of his plans, but he let him in on a plan here. Why did he do that? Because Abraham was his friend. You see, here's the truth. Friends know about what goes on with friends. The closer the friend, the more that you know. Here's a friend of God, and the Lord shows up to him and says to this man, passionate about his presence, rushing to give him reverence, giving him his best. He says, I'm going to tell Abraham what I'm doing here. And he lets Abraham in on what he's doing. In fact, the whole thing is set up by God to show us that God is doing something here and what he's going to do and how he's going to do it and bringing this great friend of God into the mix. application here. Do you rush to give God reverence? Listen, God is here seeking you. I wish I could just call every one of your names and say from God, He is, you think you're here? The initiator? That is not true. God is here and He drew you here and He's seeking you. If you don't know Him, He is calling you. He's talking to you today saying, I want a relationship with you, a personal relationship. Through the person of my son, I want a relationship with you. If you do know him, you're a child of his already, but you're not 
rushing to give him reverence and passionate about his presence and giving him your best, he is saying to you, I want a more intimate relationship with you. I'm pursuing you. Pursue me. I want you to understand me. Great, I want to pour more blessings into your life through you knowing me. Rush to give the Lord reverence. Are you passionate about His presence? God is longing for intimacy with you. I know that is so bizarre. I mean, when I say that, even though I know the Word and I know this truth, it sounds so ridiculous. God, the Creator, wants intimacy with me, but I know that He does. I know that He does. The story has been told. The example has come and proved it. Listen, here's, let me just give you the cliff note on the whole Bible right now in about one minute. Adam and Eve in the garden had intimacy. They walked with God in the garden in the cool of the day before sin. They had this incredible close relationship. And one thing God said, don't do. Everything else is for you. Don't do the one thing because if you do, it's going to be broken. There's going to be separation and they rebelled and they sinned. And that sin brought separation. It broke that intimacy and that relationship and they were driven because they were now sinners out of the presence of the holy God. But then God kept saying for 2,000 or 3,000 or 4,000 or 5,000 years, the Old Testament saying, I'm going to come back in the person of Christ. I'm going to come as a man and I'm going to make a way for you to come back into relationship. And then Jesus showed up as the Lamb of God as the very person of God in human flesh, and He died and paid the penalty for sin so that sin could be removed, so that what was broken from the garden, we could come back into relationship and have intimacy with our Creator again. That's why Jesus came. So here's what I know. God wants intimacy. He created us to have a relationship with Him, and He wants a relationship with you. James 4, middle of verse 4 down to middle of verse 8, James writes, Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose that it is to no purpose that the Scripture says that He, God, yearns jealously over the Spirit that He has made to dwell in us? It means God is jealous for a relationship. But He gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So here's what we're to do. Submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. I can't explain that. I don't understand that fully. But here's what I know. I believe with all of my heart. And as that's God wants an intimate relationship with His sons and His daughters. He wants intimacy. He who keeps company with the hosts of heaven wants to fellowship with us. He who calls out the stars every night, the Bible says, billions and billions of them by name, one by one. That God, that God 
who sovereignly controls the affairs of this universe, that God, He wants intimacy with us. Are you passionate about His presence? And then finally, do you give Him the best or the rest? God gave His best. He gave His Son. And He gave His Spirit. He gave His best. He gave His all. John 16, 7, Nevertheless, I tell you, Jesus said, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Right there, Jesus, before his crucifixion and death, said, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to go. Meaning, I'm going to go to the cross. I'm going to give my life. I'm going to die three days later. Like I've told you many times, I'm going to come back to life. I'm going to ascend back to the Father in heaven where I've been throughout all eternity. And when I get home, I'm going to send the Spirit to come and live with you. So God gave us the best. He gave us His Son. And He gave us the best. He gave us His Spirit. And what He's wanting is to be our friend. He wants us to live a life of reverence. He wants us to desire and pursue His presence. And He wants us to recognize that it's all Him and His, not ours. And to give back an example of that understanding. And that same God that called Abraham His friend is the unchanging God and He'll call you His friend. And you'll have intimacy with the God of the universe. I know it sounds too good to be true, but it is true. It is true. I've experienced it. Not like I want to, but I know it's true by personal experience and I've seen it to be true hundreds and hundreds of lives. Would you stand We pray? Father, God, as I ask you at the beginning of this message, I can't do anything of lasting consequence, but your spirit can. Just trusting that you did our doing that, commit it to you. For your glory, I pray. Amen.